Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Ah, uh, yes, it is that time once again. It is time for the first wheelhouse podcast of 2022. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill with Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto. Jerry, man, happy new baseball season to you, my friend. How are you? I am. I've been soaking in the sun, watching some you're, fun You're tanner players. than usual, great. Jerry. <laughs> tanner than usual. That's saying something. Well, it's a million degrees out here on the surface <laughs> of the sun. <laughs> it, it is terrifying to think that today, when it was like 97 degrees, that this this isn't as hot as it gets, and it's not even particularly close. But uh, we are happy to be here. We're happy to be out of the rain. We're happy to be watching baseball. And Jerry, I mean, this has been a, a really fun, unique spring training to witness for, for a lot of different reasons that we're going we're gonna to dive into here. But I'm, I'm curious, we're both curious, just kind of your overarching thoughts on, on all that's happened, all that's transpired, uh, maybe since the last time we talked, maybe since uh, the beginning of spring training. There's a lot to unpack there. You know, the, the offseason in general, it, it started, and, and I don't think we've spoken since we started adding to our team with, I guess, which the original trade or kickoff was acquiring Adam Frazier from San Diego. But, you know, Adam Frazier and Robbie Ray, more recently the additions of Gino Suarez and Jesse Winker, It's a, and, and I guess even more and more recently the, the acquisition of Sergio Romo. Such a fun offseason for us, and, and we feel like we've – just created the deepest roster that we've had since we've been here you know since dating back to 2016 and and the potential for impact exists with growth from young players and we've seen it you know we're seeing it up close and personal we saw some yesterday out in Goodyear with Logan Gilbert we've seen some with Julio Rodriguez who is I I can't even describe all the different ways that he's that he has changed and evolved his game and in in so many impressive ways we can talk about that we're seeing it with a new and what i think is better more adjusted version of jared kelnick which is exciting um and we're seeing it with a host of young players that started with our mini camp which opened boy the days are running together on me now but we've been down here eh, probably about a month and a half, close to seven weeks. And, and our mini camp group, which was the most talented we've ever had, you know, included some of the guys who are now competing for our fifth starter spot, guys like George Kirby, Levi Stout. Uh, unfortunately, Matt Brash wasn't there, but he's also in that mix. We, we had so many young players that we hadn't had a chance to see, the Harry Fords and the Edwin Arroyos and, and seeing where they've come from. Come from. And, and the latest wave of new guys who went from throwing 90 to, to 98. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's been such a, a fun transition into 2022, and thank goodness the lockout's behind us and we can just focus on Mariners baseball. Well, we wanted to uh, talk about a number of different things, but I don't, I don't think we can go much further without – digging into Julio a little mm. bit more. Uh, he has been the, the talk of camp, and it's kind of strange uh, that even in spring training when you just kind of feel the ballpark shift when a guy walks towards home plate, and that's what's happened here in Peoria for home games in particular when, when Julio comes up to the plate. I think we should first uh, have a kind of a 
ex- baseball executive viewpoint on spring training, right? Like spring training stats, spring training performance. Like how do you guys, before we dig into Julio, how do you guys view what you see on the field and pertaining to making decisions? I mean, it matters. We, we don't really pay attention to traditional statistics so much. You know, you may get some of the best hitters in the league who go out and hit 100 in spring training, and then it doesn't mean that they're no longer the best players in the league. You may get a, a pitcher, for instance, you know, when I was with the Diamondbacks for many years, we had one of the best starting pitchers in the National League in Brandon Webb who is not historically a spring training performer. You know, he, he needed the league to ramp up before he was ready to do his thing and start spinning off their barrels. But, you know, I, I think as we watch, you know, Marco Gonzalez has not historically blown you away in spring training, but he's an awesome regular season starting pitcher. And, you know, the first look at, that, at, at, at those players as they get ready can sometimes be deceiving. But that being said, you're watching what they do and how hard they hit the ball matters. The quality of the, and crispness of their breaking stuff matters. You know, assessing the tools matters. But mostly the, the thing we're looking for is how emotionally prepared do they seem. You know, it's in some cases, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, maybe in the last two years with the, the novelty, or, or I guess no longer novelty, the, the world we lived in for the last two years in the world of COVID, you know, many of our young players have never pitched or played in front of a crowd as big as what they're seeing in spring training, ever, you know, final, final. So if they see a game, you know, at at Salt River or here in Peoria or over at Sloan Park where we get, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 people, they've never played in front of crowds that big. So having the opportunity to give them that as the, 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 the runway is important. And, uh, you know, I would say Julio appears to not be bothered by how many people are sitting there and, and what the expectations are. He thrives on it, and, I, and he has performed extraordinarily well and, and every, checked every one of those boxes that we just mentioned to this point. One of the things I've been most curious about heading into this camp, and I knew we would see it, Julio in center field. So what have you seen from who, who, by the way, he has been adamant about, I can play center field. He's been vocal about it. He's told everybody. What have you seen from Julio in center? Well, he told me that he was going to do it, first of all. And yes. it's a, he, he's running like Billy Hamilton, <laughs> it's a, which none of us expected. I mean, when we signed Julio, we thought he was a plus runner. Typically, as guys start to grow and they get more physical, that backs up. You know, and, and you're, you're uh, Julio's now standing about 6'4", mm. and, and it's, it is not a, a you know, wispy 6'4". He is a, a, he is a rugged built 6'4 center fielder who is now running not just average to, to 55, which is what we would have seen from him in, in the few years past. He's running like 70 run speed right now, which is rather shocking. You know, he's, a, he's running up the line like a left-handed hitter on a ground ball to mm-hmm. second base, which none of us could have anticipated. And the ground that he's covered in center field, even yesterday out in Goodyear, or I guess I don't know when we'll, we'll post this, but the game we played in Goodyear against the Indians with a super high sky that is notoriously difficult on outfielders in this league, and Miles Straw on the other side, who I think is an excellent center fielder, looked like he was playing in Goodyear. And Julio was out there just 
he looked like it was just another day with this is what I do. I am a good center fielder. And it looks that way. He's been awesome. I think it's exciting. You have actually set up the possibility of the Billy Hamilton Julio Rodriguez foot race, which will be oh. pretty fun. <laughs> I don't want to see that, frankly. You know, a, I'd like them all to get to the opening bell healthy. You have all the data of Julio and his quality of contact. We see it and we hear it. I mean, everything that he hits so far here in spring has been hit hard. We know he's strong. We know he's physical. But what enables him beyond just brute strength to be able to consistently make that great a quality contact? Good vision. You know, I mean, that is the first thing that comes to mind. He's got good vision. His pitch selection has improved every year he's been in the system. He swings at better and better pitches, which is what results in being a better hitter at time, you know, I guess over time. But he sees the ball well. And, and to barrel it up as frequently as he does. You know, the, the home run he hit in his first at bat in the spring, which, first of all, you know, it dropped the mic. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But the, the home run that he hit, the two days prior, he was in his live BPs against, you know, major league quality pitchers as they're preparing. And on consecutive days, I, I think the, the first day he hit a ball 113 miles an hour and, and rocketed the, the ball into left center field. And that we turned around to each other. How many balls did we have hit 113 miles an hour last year by a Mariner? None. <laughs> and so it was the next day he hit a home run to left field, 114 miles an hour off the bat. We're like, All right, I'm, we know the answer to this one. <laughs> and, uh, and then he came out here, and I believe the ball he hit out of the ballpark was 117 miles an hour with a trajectory that was roughly about head high. It, he's... He, he has done things that have demanded notice. It's how hard he's hitting the ball, how quickly he's running, how easily he's, he's adjusted to center field. The quality of his throwing arm has never been an issue. The accuracy is, has kind of gone to a different level. And if you've been watching you know, this first week of games, that's been an obvious improvement. He, just, he looks like a young, super talented player who's ready to crash the gates, and, I, and I'm excited for it. Yeah. He's such a young player, too. And there's no question about the talent. You, you talked about the tools. We see it. When a young player has success at the major league level, we're, we're talking young player, what else is generally in in that package to lead to success in such a, a difficult game on young players? Emotional maturity. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's maybe the biggest thing. And, and Julio has exhibited that everywhere since he's been in the system and it's as evident now as it's ever been he's he's very smart he's emotionally mature i think he's he's inviting the challenges and i think the thing i enjoy most about julio is he never has a bad day mm. you know it's a, he's just such a, a a happy outgoing enjoyable person to be around and i've seen him take an offer and and he'll have fun with it he gets as competitive as anybody and you haven't seen him take too many offers mm -hmm. the, along the the ride so far but he just comes back the next day and he's a great teammate and he's he has fun with it and then he goes and hits rockets and you know to me that's the easiest way to stay out of prolonged slumps is you never really feel like you're in one mm -hmm. and and uh, julio has a has had a great way about him since the day he walked out on the field for the first time and and each year it becomes more and more pronounced that that's part of who he is you told us last year in September that you were going to give Julio every bit of a chance to make the club coming out of spring training this year. And you, you and Scott, you've lived up to your word. We're seeing a lot of Julio, and we know that he is auditioning for a spot on this opening day roster. 
when fans think back to the struggles of Jared Kelnick out of the gates last season, and obviously Jared, I mean, he, he came to the Mariners and he came to the majors with um, as much hype maybe as Julio and certainly a pedigree. But you look at Julio, now he was in the Olympics, of course, but if you look at at-bats for Julio above high A in his career, and he's barely 21 years old, which is hard to, to remember, I mean, he has fewer than 200 at-bats, right, above high A. So with that in mind, when you saw firsthand the struggle, struggles of Jared last year, and you know that Julio's a, a supreme talent, but nonetheless, we're not far removed from last season with Kelnick. I mean, how do you process potentially doing that again to a more extreme level with Julio from what we saw from Kelnick last year? I don't know if it's more extreme. He actually has more you okay. know, plate appearances than J.K. did at that same stage. And, you know, I think Jared had 92 uh, off the top of my head above A ball, and, and Julio has slightly more than that. There's all of these young players, through no fault of their own, wound up set back by the, the, the lost summer to, to COVID. They didn't get what show up on the sheet as those plate appearances. We did challenge J.K. last year, when, and it was a challenge for him. But he got a little bit better every month. And then I thought by September, he was one of our best offensive players. And, you know, he, he really showed you that I can be the, the player that you think I can be. And, and uh, you know, he came into spring training this year looking even more relaxed. You'll see a guy who's more upright in his stance, who's hitting the ball with authority to all fields, which there was a period last year where we saw nothing but to the pull side and, you know, really spinning off the ball and trying to hit it off the moon. Now you're seeing a guy who's just swinging it easy like a PGA golfer and hitting rockets everywhere. I thought he had a very good day yesterday with a, you know, hit that seed into left center field, took a ball 410 feet to center field. There's there's still so much talent there with JK. I can't tell you that Julio won't struggle in the same ways. It's a really hard league to play in, and it's a very hard league to adjust to as a 27-year-old, much less doing it at age 21. And But when you are as talented as these guys are, at some point you just get out of their way and give them an opportunity. And, you know, do I know yet if they're ready to, to remove the training wheel, so to speak? I don't know, you know, but the only way we're going to find out is by throwing them in that pool and then believing in them and, and knowing that the talent and the people and the work ethic and, and the resiliency will ultimately overcome and they'll go do all those things that we ultimately believe they can and will. By Kalnick looking more relaxed, do you mean yoked? He does look Jeez, yoked, yeah. but you know, to be fair, he always does. <laughs> he does. Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing; it it's more. I mean, did he only live at the squat rack the entire off season? You know, honestly, he's he's leaner than than he has been in years past, and and I think a good way. He looks more flexible. It's not it's not the 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 bulky muscle as much as it is the tapered muscle, and it's I mean. Between the two of them, you could put them on a cover of Muscle and Fitness and, <laughs> and, and probably sell out. It's a great copy. Tapered a, bustle. That, that's how I'm usually referenced. I thought we were kind the bulky the, kind. Are we, are we tapered? <laughs> I will, that'll be the next podcast. You guys are the epitome of tapered. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, so when you think about the rotation for the Mariners this year, obviously Robbie Ray steals the headlines from the offseason edition and winning the Cy Young last year and striking out the universe. So we, we knew that this year we would see an even further step forward for Logan Gilbert, his first full season of the majors. I got to tell you, Jerry, I didn't know that part of that was a, a brand new slider that he showcased the other day against the Guardians at 90 miles an hour. I mean, last year his slider, obviously a little loopier, like eight, mid-80s, 84, 85 miles an hour or so on average. So tell us the backstory of Logan, who was also, by the way, like sitting 96 
living and touching 97, 98 as well. So tell us about this new pitch from Logan. Against the Guardians, he was 96, 98 with his fastball. Uh, did not throw a fastball under 96 miles an hour in three innings. And, you know, when he threw his first bullpen session here, the, the gush fest that followed, you know, in our offices and, and with our staff after watching his first pen, we, we were all blown away by the difference in his breaking stuff. And you could immediately tell with the shape of the slider and the curveball and, and what he was doing with the velocity of those pitches. You know, his curveball is now as hard as his slider was a year ago. And his slider is now as hard as maybe what my fastball looked like in its prime. <laughs> but the, he, you know, as I understand it, he spent some time with with Jacob DeGrom and he spent a lot of time with his rep Soto and you know Logan is such a, a, a smart guy and he went into the offseason with an understanding all right here's what I need to do to take that next step and simply with a fastball or occasionally with a fastball and mixing in another pitch that he rarely used he was somehow able to run you know a strikeout rate above 10 a walk rate below three and his first, you know, run through the big leagues. And and he wanted to take that next step. How do I get better at this? And the slider that he was throwing out in Goodyear was about as good as it, you can imagine a slider being. It's a, you know, 91 miles an hour and just disappearing. And the angle is just so much different. I could say the same about the shape of his changeup. Mm. You know, last year in his changeup at times, you know, I can remember the Yankees start. Uh, he made a start at Tampa where his changeup was just electric and live. But his changeup, he would pronate inside that pitch and really just work it. And a lot of times you could see the horizontal break or change in, in direction coming quickly because of that, uh, you know, the, how hard he was pronating inside it. The changeup that he's thrown since he got back to Arizona this spring has been what I would say is far less pronation, a lot more deceleration with the pitch. And he threw a couple yesterday that just dropped dead at the strike zone where it wasn't a lot of horizontal movement, but more along the lines of just that, you know, lampshade changeup that just stops and dives. And he picked up a, a 3-2 punch out on it that I thought's the best changeup I've ever seen him throw. And I was just and, and frankly he was pretty happy with it. I think it was the, the favorite pitch for him that he threw yesterday and what was a, an array of really good pitches. How much of a game changer is it for him when you look at him as a complete pitcher? Now, we've always, and I know you guys know this, we've always had a very high opinion of what Logan's ceiling was. Mm -hmm. And and I've often found it, I don't I don't mean to sound like we know more than anyone else, but we do know this player and 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 we believe in who he is you know, both from a competitive standpoint and a I will go make myself better standpoint. And we've always believed that he had the the capacity or the the tools to pitch at the top of major league rotation. That's what we watched in, in his first spring training outing was a guy who had those weapons, that kind of command, that kind of physical competitiveness. You know, when you get Logan, when Logan turns into Walter and it's on <laughs> and, and you've got now you've got four weapons and, and he's filling up the strike zone with the ability to, to go back and forth, to elevate and to use breaking balls to change the, the horizontal strike zone. That's a lot to deal with for a hitter when the effective velocity coming at you is as extreme as it is with Logan. Because it's not like, it, I mean, he's throwing 98, and it feels like he's throwing 120 to the hitter in the box. It's, it's, it's on you that much. And I, I could not have been you know, more excited about what we saw, and I'd love to bottle that up, extend it by, say, 50 pitches, call it a spring, and let's get out there and play. 
I had forgotten about Walter until yeah, Jerry no, brought that, that up. Was... Uh, if, um, some of our listeners probably remember a hearing of Walter last year, but for those who, who don't recall, can you can you fill us in on the alter ego? That, that that's when when when. When Logan pitches and he gets into that competitive, Logan is the nicest person that maybe that you'll ever meet. He's just a wonderful guy, you know, very thoughtful. He cares about the people around him. It's a very grounded and, and, and well-rooted. And, you know, it's, it's, it's often been said, ah, is he too nice a guy to be a, a great pitcher? And he's, he's got a way of combating that. He just turns into someone else when he goes to, to the mound, and he, he calls that person Walter. <laughs> and uh, I, actually, I think it was a, a name that Pete Woodworth, you know, kind of dropped on him while he was in his, in his very short but effective stint in AA back in 2019 and, and and stuck and it's something that i think is it's fun for for him for woody for the team and and uh he just yesterday was very walterish it was good <laughs> very walterish very walterish indeed and a gush fest is also a new one to the podcast I, that was a good i thought one that too. was is that a uh, is our gush fest a, a common occurrence uh within the Front office, you, Hollander, and... You guys have dealt with me for quite some time. A gush fest is something I do on a fairly regular basis. It's what makes this podcast great. I gush. You know? Absolutely. Well, along the lines of uh, pitching and starting pitching, we we can't uh, go too much further without at least just touching on one of the biggest additions to the ball club, and that is Robbie Ray. This is a, a, a big boost to the rotation, a headline guy. I mean, you knew what you were getting in Robbie Ray. You guys did your research, and we all saw from afar last year when he was pitching for the Blue Jays. But what's it been like for you to actually see him now in a Mariners uniform coming out of the Mariners dugout? I think the thing I've enjoyed the most, other than, you know, the, the audible, <laughs> yeah, that's the it case. is notable when Robbie throws, you know, when he's throwing his bullpen, when he's throwing his lives, it's a, you knew you were going to see the wipeout slider, which is just, and when you get up on top of it and see it over and over, it's even a more impressive pitch than just seeing it for two starts in a season. When he threw that first bullpen and you could be standing three fields away and say, oh my gosh, what is that? <laughs> That's Robbie Ray throwing his first bullpen. And uh, the intensity that he brings to the table, the expectation of, of not just of himself, but of the group around him. You know, it's a, you better show up and be ready to work. It's on. And I think Robbie has a lot of lead by example in him and in a really good way. I also think he has a natural intensity once he puts that uniform. He's, again, an incredibly nice human being, easy to spend time around. And when that uniform goes on, it is it gets very competitive. And the, and the intensity is something that I think really brings an element to our team that is going to be valuable, particularly for our young players, as they, they take that next step into their major league careers. Well, like comparing kind of last year's rotation to this year's, between – Gilbert and what we're kind of projecting for him and Ray, you've added a lot of swing and miss to the rotation so far. And we think regardless of who's our fifth starter, they are going to be able to, to bring the swing and miss too. And, you know, and, and then you have the two stalwarts, you know, mm-hmm. Marco and, and Flex, who are, they are pitchers, pitchers, guys that go out and they rely on their command and their pitch mix and their savvy, you know, and they can change so many different looks. That, that combination of events and being able to use those guys, not one on top of the other and split them up so that stylistically you have something you know unique every day to look forward to whether it's Robbie Ray's intensity and the, just the the nasty two pitch mix it's it's what we talked about with Logan which is you know the effective velocity the the multi 
pitch, you know, Arsenal or the, you know, the more pitchery pitchers like Marco and flex. And then whatever comes in our, in our five hole is also going to be notable <laughs> between the likes of, you know, Matt Brash and George Kirby, Levi Stout. And, and even what we saw yesterday from justice Sheffield, you know, the chef has been really positive in this, in this spring and, you know, 92, 94 miles an hour yesterday with a good slider and a solid change. He looked like the Justice Sheffield of 2020, not necessarily what we saw for the majority of last season. You bring up George Kirby. We saw him in East Scottsdale against the Diamondbacks. And I, it's not that I never believed you, Jerry. <laughs> okay. But I remember during the alternate side season, you telling us, whether it be on the air or off the air after a recording, that Kirby was touching 99 and touching 100. And again, I, I mean, I believed you, but I also have found that very hard to believe that the command guy was touching triple digits, right? So we were excited to see what was going to happen, but we also knew it was the first, his first spring start, right? He's just ramping it up. Like, there's no way he's going to come close to that. And, well, like, his third pitch was 99, yeah. 98.7 or something. I mean, this is this really is this really a thing for him now? Is he a this velo? Is, how hard he is, is he max velo, max command simultaneously? Yeah, and and oddly enough, I think if I had one thing about George this spring, he hasn't shown the the precision command in the games that he's showing that he has shown through his development that he has shown in his bullpen sessions, and you can tell that that there's just that little lack of certainty, and you know he's facing major league hitters in front of bigger crowds for the first time. We haven't seen the best of what George can do yet. It's uh, it's easy for him to throw hard. It's easy for him to create good action with the pitches. And and uh, you know what I thought was a, a a a good step for him, which was getting out there. He too, it was 95 to 99. We have had him on the backfields up to 100 miles an hour in his in his bullpen sessions, and his secondary stuff is so good. That, you know, and I can say the same about Brash. It's so good. And the the question is it not. You know whether they are going to succeed as major leaguers, but if these guys are healthy, they're going to be really good big league pitchers to to better than that because the stuff is just so solid. Mm. You know, I think Brash in that same game, Brash same game. Was, you know, it was a, it's he's also it's upper nineties and and he doesn't do it as smooth as Curb does it, but you know Matt goes out there and it's wicked violent stuff, and you know he sits at 96, 97 miles an hour, touches a hundred. I think he's he has thrown two of the five highest spinning breaking balls in in all of Major League Baseball so far this spring, including the the most spin oriented pitch. He threw a slider like a 3200 uh, RPM slider the other day in in Scottsdale, which is, that's I mean that's a gush fest. That's <laughs> sick. Yeah, it, it forces it forces you to come back and gush about. Oh my, uh, did you? Did you see that? Yeah, I, I did. I saw it. And there, there was only one of what looked like a dozen pitches that I could gush about. You, know, you point out, because this is our first chance to, to see them in games, obviously. You point out what really stood out to me, it kind of stylistically, the difference of the two. I got to say, George Kirby's 97, 98, 99 looked like he was playing catch. I mean, it looked like he was just in a rocking chair. Just here it is. It was really impressive. This would be my my description. I know that Jordan Spieth can hit a golf ball 300 yards. I also know that when all of the planets line up and and all of any element that could go into you know 
me having my best golf swing, I may have the capacity to hit a ball close to 300 yards. He can do it all the time. I can do it a uh, time, you know. The difference being that Jordan Spieth looks like just pouring milk through a boot <laughs> as they would you know, just smooth as it could possibly be. You know, I would look like I'm tackling, you know, <laughs> like, oh, let's go. There's, you know, the curb does it super easy. And it's and he when he's flicking 97 in there, you can't believe that you can't believe the velocity and you know the 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 original gush and when we first got here for the mini camp among our major league coaches scott who hadn't spent much time around george was they could not believe how easy it was and how 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 much he filled up the strike zone with the high-powered stuff without much effort to the naked eye and and uh he's one of those guys that that just seems to be good at anything you put in front of him you know you could ask him to play chess you could ask him to play golf you could ask him to go pitch and he and he just quickly goes out and does all those things without even looking like it's 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 he's trying hard we uh pivot uh, quickly here to uh, the offensive side of things jesse winker and eugenio suarez uh obviously fill two big positions for your ball club uh, Winker is not somebody that uh, anyone outside of your close circle in the front office saw coming, or Suarez for that matter. Uh, we've talked to Justin Hollander a little bit about how this this came together, but we're curious to hear from you as well. This was uh, a, a very uh, creative trade and one that filled uh, a couple of needs for your ball club. You know, I th- we we talk about these things nonstop. It, it's 15, 16 hours a day that we're constantly going through. How do we make the team better? Who can we access? Walking through free agents, the potential for trades. You know, and we, we spent all of, you know, it's called the month of November, uh, deep in the free agent market. And we didn't spend a ton of time on, on trades because we knew that that 30 days was going to be make an impression, get out in front of players. We got on planes, we flew around. You know, we were engaged to the point with, I would say, at least five uh, of the, the what I would call premium free agents, one of whom we landed, um, the others of, with, with whom we made substantial offers. Uh, and I think that's that, that's the way we spent our November. The one, I guess I should say two, we were engaged with two teams as the what I would call hand checking, just making sure that they knew when it's time to trade we want to be partners on this you know we would like to to be on the other end of the phone and one of them was the cincinnati reds we had we had interest ranging from you know their starting pitching to jesse winker to gene suarez and and as we as we got closer and closer to you know crunch time at the end of the month and we landed robbie ray i feel like we felt fell just short on another free agent or two and then we resumed that after the 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 lockout came to an end and immediately when we re-engaged in the market we picked up the phone and we called those teams that, that might match up for us in trade and at that time we were still focused primarily on the pitching but we had constantly asked about you know the the potential of matching up for jesse winker though we had never talked about in in what context and you know, then we we were getting frustrated with some of what was happening in, in, in the waiting game with free agency, you know, somewhat concerned that we were going to wind up opening our eyes, you know, a week from tomorrow, and we didn't get any of these guys, and now we we weren't able to do the things we wanted to in lengthening our lineup, and that led to uh, I I went to bed, you know, one night, and I'm sitting there staring at the ceiling, and it, it, 
this this concept can we get the two of these guys together forego the the pitching as a trade target focus elsewhere and just see if we can pin these guys together and you know i called nick crawl with the reds the next morning after waking up at, at about 4:45, driving to the ballpark writing the whole thing out like goodwill hunting on the board and and uh you know and telling justin there there it is and yeah, hollander said uh, you're not a morning texter but you were a morning texter this day yeah i was bright i was bushy-tailed that day and you know and i i called nick and and know um, obviously they, they they had enough interest in it that we were able to to come up with something and you know over the course of the next couple of days you know i don't even know that it took more than a couple of days we you know we talked through a lot of different names and a lot of different calls that were you know condensed into just that 48 or 72 hours and and i would say between saturday and and uh ultimately making the deal i think on monday uh we we were able to to narrow it down to the to the names that traded places though we still have one more to give you know and that'll be a painful one for us but you you understand that that's the price of doing business but to get a guy that we think is among the best left-hand hitters in baseball who's going to play his 28 year old season coming off a pair of you know quietly awesome years mm-hmm. and you know i, I it, it's funny cincinnati's where major league baseball started <laughs> and uh you know they do play really good baseball there and they have a lot of awesome players through through time and and jesse winker was one of them and he was an anonymous star in our league and and uh we were thrilled to land him and and i do think that the the public narrative that this was about taking you know eugenio suarez contract back we we don't actually see that at all you know it, when when gino was switched over to shortstop it, and and he had a little bit of an issue with his shoulder uh, from a from a an at home you know mishap something in the swimming pool uh, as a, with his with his kids when he switched over to shortstop his his offense took a decided downturn and then when he moved back to third base and he got healthy, the second half of last season was phenomenal, you know, especially in the month of September. And, you know, we saw him return to being, you know, Eugenio Suarez, who two years, three years prior, he put up consecutive, even in the 2020 truncated season, his rates, you know, he had three consecutive what, what were or extrapolated to four win seasons in, in F-War. That's hard to find. His <laughs> third baseman, you know, who have that kind of power, and, and you know, we don't, you know, we don't have the need to move him off his position. We think that that fits for us, and the way these two guys have come in and just, you know, acclimated to our our environment, they're great guys. They fit in our clubhouse. They were embraced immediately, and uh, you know, we're thrilled and can't wait to see what what it does to the to the length of our lineup because it's pretty good. How how does Winker come about, right? Like how how do you and your staff, when you are looking at a blank whiteboard, is it just guys talking ball and trying to address needs? Like I mean, how do you come up with that individual and then go into attack mode again with the Reds to try to acquire? We knew we wanted to add a left hand bat, you know, and I, I think I addressed this throughout the off season, you know, and especially in the time since we got down here, but even dating back to September. You know, we wanted to make our offense deeper. We wanted to add, you know, to the middle of our lineup with real power. We wanted to find a right-hand power bat, preferably on the infield. And we wanted to add a left-hand bat, preferably in the outfield, largely because we thought that was the best way to, to make sure that we got reps for everybody. For instance, if you've got, you know, on a given day, if you have Mitch Hanniger and Jared Kelnick and, and, and Jesse Winker in the lineup, now you have a way for Kyle Lewis and, 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 
and or Julio Rodriguez to get their reps, you know, as a, and it could be as a DH that day. Now the next day you're facing a left-hand pitcher. Maybe Jesse gets a day off. Maybe Kel gets a day off and you can put Hanny and Julio and Kyle out there. Now you have, there's, there's so many different fits, but if you get a right-hand bat, and we were attached to some of those, it doesn't make as much sense. Now you've got an issue. (laughs) Now you have a a playing time issue that really starts to become problematic. And we may run into that anyway if everybody's healthy. But there's, you know, we thought the left-hand bat gave us the best opportunity to set up the platoons to maximize the, the outcomes for us, no matter who we're facing. And we still wanted to add that right-hand power element, you know, and, and, we were attached to, to guys like that in free agency. And then one guy that kind of flew under the radar, you know, it was, was Suarez. And, you know, why I say that, how does it come to pass? If we want a left-hand bat and we want a right-hand bat, we go the sophisticated route of taking a marker and walking up to a whiteboard and putting down left-hand bat, <laughs> right-hand bat. And then we list the players that we are interested in that we think are potentially acquirable. You know, so we can go out and, and now you pick up the phone and I can call those various clubs that have the left-hand bat. Would you be willing to talk about so-and-so? And then you can talk about the context. We can check in with the free agents. What are your expectations for so-and-so? Now, you know, now we can see where we line up and, you know, find out who makes more sense for us. Same is true when we went out and acquired the Adam Frazier. Adam Frazier fit independent of anything else we could have done in the offseason because of the fa- he is a high contact on base skilled player who is so versatile he can play at a variety of different positions ideally he was going to end up as he did as our second baseman but you could play him at third you could play him in left field there's a, there's a lot of different possible outcomes so he was he was a unique player that we thought fit no matter what the others, we were trying to craft together a puzzle to make sure that we were getting everybody the, the appropriate time to continue to grow, that we weren't blocking players from, from moving forward. You know, Would it have been great to go out and get former MVPs to, to tow it up at corner positions? Sure. And then what do you do with Ty France, who's arguably our best you know, rates hitter a year ago? What do you do with – we have to make sure that our team, the team that we built, we are preserving the team. You know, th- those players matter. Without those players, we we don't have a team. And, and we have to be, you know, we have to be co- cognizant of the fact that we are only as good as our belief in what these, these players are capable of and vice versa. So we think they're really good. We love the depth that we have. And we think that these offseason moves, you know, accentuated that rather than forced us to move other players and turn ourselves into even more of a circus in, in the, in, in the, 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 the trader uh, category oh no jerry it's not it's not a circus you just you like talking to people on the phone man i'm a chatty fella yeah Yeah. (laughs) you're personable you're not no traitor jerry here how dare you bring that up jerry it's what we do it's what we do (laughs) we haven't brought that up in a long time uh well jerry this has been great it has been fantastic to get the wheelhouse uh, up and cooking once again have you had some good food down here, Sharon? Uh, you know, I have touched down on a couple. We went to uh, the Americano, which is Scott Conant's new steakhouse over in Scottsdale, which was, it, it's about as Scottsdale as it gets. It's a, it's amazing. Now, it's the, tell me uh, tell me what it means to be as Scottsdale as it gets. Uh, the, the, just the environment. It's an awesome bar, bar scene. It's got like the, the thumpy music, all oh, the beautiful yeah. people. It's, you know, it's I like see. dimly lit. It's, it's very it, dim, it really very loud. Could not, it was awesome. Uh, Sumamaya. 
which is uh, also in Scottsdale, not too far. Down. It's a it's a it's a Mexican Asian fusion restaurant, which I would highly recommend. Again, you know the the vibe, the thump. It's it's very uh, very GM. It's a night out. It's yeah. a night out. <laughs> um, yeah, th- that was exciting. We have also, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, um, and we're going one more time before the spring ends. But there's a, a Mexican restaurant over near the airport. It's called Cocina Madrigal. And it is uh, we coming into to the 2022 spring training. It was ranked by Yelp as the number one restaurant in the country by Yelp. What? Yeah. Whoa. And when you when you drive up, you're gonna say, really? And it's it, it is the opposite of the 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 Scottsdale thump, but it is <laughs> it is the best Mexican food that I have ever had. It is. Uh, I mean, what'd I can't. You, what'd you get? Uh, we. I have pictures. I have footage. You know, it's a podcast, Jerry. Yeah, we had we had uh, we had the taco trio. Oh, you know, I like uh, good we had, start. Yep, had the taco trio. Had ordered a burrito with this avocado crema that was unbelievable. Um, there's the the margaritas off the charts. The, I, I really can't say enough about like the, the the quality of this place. It's you should really try it. Hard to get into. I might know somebody who knows somebody say. who knows yeah. a guy about right. getting in. You, I mean, I would say you've been as busy eating as you have been on the phones, Jerry, which I, makes me very happy. I, that's what I've been doing. I've been eating, working on my tan, and watching awesome players. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, we appreciate you interrupting all three of those things and uh, hanging out with us for a little bit. So thanks for uh, getting the uh, Wheelhouse 2022 off and rolling. You got it, guys. Glad to do it. <laughs>